Welcome to the new Docs in a Pod presented by WellMed. Over the next half hour, Docs in a Pod will educate you about the health and wellness of adults everywhere. Co-hosts Dr. Audrey Barria and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron will share information to improve your health and well-being. And now here are Ron Aaron and Dr. Audrey Barria. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on Docs in a Pod. I'm Ron Aaron. We are delighted to have you with us on today's broadcast. We are also happy to have as our special co-host today, Olivia Rahman. Olivia works at the WellMed at 9th Avenue Clinic in St. Petersburg, Florida, and she is a nurse practitioner. She earned her nursing degree from Florida State University in Tallahassee, also earned her master's degree with honors at the University of South Florida in Tampa. She is board certified in family practice. She previously earned a Bachelor of Science degree in psychology from Florida State University. From 2014 to 2015, Olivia worked as a middle school teacher in the National Teach for America program. As a guy who once taught seventh grade history to kids, let me tell you, the hormones are coursing through those little bodies. It is not easy. And Olivia also is a singer. She was a show singer, show singer in a competitive choir and is also, like our guest, we'll find out in a minute, a dog lover, a yellow lab, and a golden retriever. And like me, she hails from the great Midwest. She's from the great state of Michigan. So, Olivia, we're glad to have you back with us. Glad to be back. Thanks for that awesome introduction. Well, I'm assuming it's all true. You gave it to me, so we're going to rely true. on it. It is all true. And the and seventh we, grade, I was seventh grade, too. It was math, though. Oof. Yeah, they're Drunk. tough. They're that was tough. a tough year, I'll bet. It really was. That's why I don't do it anymore. <laughs> we also have a, a special guest joining us today with a wonderful topic, what to keep in your medicine cabinet. Uh, Carolyn Scott, who's with WellMed at Rosedale, is with us in Fort Worth, Texas. She earned her medical degree from the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center in Dallas. And Dr. Scott is board certified in family medicine. And then when I asked her, what would people be surprised to find out about you? She gave me two neat nuggets. She loves her dogs. King Cavalier, she's got a, a, a nine-month-old and a five-month-old. And she is also a history buff. So, Dr. Scott, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. This topic is so important. And in all the years we've been doing this program and others, it's something we've never really covered. So it's always nice to do something new and something important. Uh, so tell us, when you think of the medicine cabinet, uh, where do people learn what to put in there? Okay. Well, for the first time, the first thing I would say is definitely every year at the beginning of the year, go through your medicine cabinet. See if the things have expired. If they have, get rid of them, please. Some of them do have some toxic side effects the older that these drugs become. So I recommend at the beginning of the year, when you celebrate the new year, go through your medicines, discard the things that have an expiration date that have already passed. Same now, discarding, them is a, discarding them can be a challenge because most of them say, do not pour down the toilet. Correct. My favorite tip is to basically, if you know anybody who has a cat or a dog, get some kitty litter that's used. Pour the medicine in that, mix it up, close it up in a baggie, and discard it that way. Just discard it in your trash. That way, you know nobody's going to go into the kitty litter and get <laughs> use kitty litter and have medicine from that. And that's true for a lot of them, even the topical ones. Fentanyl patches are notorious 
for still having fentanyl in them, and people will actually chew on the discarded patches that people have thrown in the trash can. So do it to where they are not enticing to anyone, which I recommend they use kitty litter. And just put it in a baggie, close it up, throw it in the trash that way. Or if you have a pharmacy that has a, a recall for the medicines that are expired, then bring them to that place too. And I know occasionally uh, local communities will have turn your drug in day uh, for pharmaceuticals. I'm not talking about illegal drugs, but turn in uh, your pharmaceuticals and they'll dispose of them. Yes. And that's an excellent way of getting rid of it. Do not pour it down the toilet. Do not pour it down the sink. So in talking about what ought to be in the medicine cabinet, and let me take a moment for those who may have just joined us, uh, you're listening to Docs in a Pod. I'm Ron Aaron, delighted to have you with us. Uh, Joining us as our guest co-host today is Olivia Raman, a nurse practitioner. Uh, You find her at the Rosedale uh, Clinic in Fort Worth, Texas. And our special guest today is Dr. Carolyn Scott. Well, she's at Rosedale. I'm sorry, I put Olivia at a different clinic. Sorry about that, Olivia. We're going to put you back all right. uh, where, where you are, which is the Ninth mm-hmm. Avenue Clinic in St. Petersburg. So, Dr. Scott, let's start from the top of the body when we talk about what ought to go into that medicine cabinet. Uh, what do you put in there for aches, pains, headaches, fever? What do you recommend? I would recommend Tylenol, just plain old-fashioned acetaminophen. Now, the reason for that is because it doesn't have a lot of drug-drug interactions. A lot of the anti-inflammatories do. If you take things like Motrin, Naproxen, Advil, Aleve, those things can raise your blood pressure up. If you have kidney disease, it's not recommended to use them. If you're on Coumadin or Eliquis or any of the other anticoagulants, you need to stay away from the anti-inflammatories because they can cause a significant bleed. Now, Eliquis and Coumadin are are blood thinners for those who don't know. That's correct. So you want to try to steer clear from any anti-inflammatories if you have chronic kidney disease or if you're on any kind of anticoagulation just for the risk of you don't want to hurt your kidneys and you don't want to have a GI bleed. And what if you have oxycodone left over from surgery a couple years ago? Wouldn't recommend taking it. I mean, you really, opiates should be used for the the reason why they were originally prescribed. So a few years ago, first of all, that shouldn't even be around there. That should have been one of those medicines that should have been discarded a long time ago. But you don't want to just randomly use opiates if there's no clear indication for it. Whereas for Tylenol, for example, if you have liver dysfunction, you can still use it up to two grams. But the key about the acetaminophen, which is Tylenol, Every single over-the-counter cold and flu preparation, for the most part, will have acetaminophen. That counts towards that total gram of two grams that we recommend for people with liver dysfunction. So if you take an extra stinks Tylenol at 500 milligrams, and you also took a dose of NyQuil at 325 milligrams of acetaminophen, you've now taken 825 milligrams of Tylenol. So that counts towards that total dosing of two grams a day maximum. So I would not recommend going over two grams if you have fatty liver, uh, any kind of fibrosis, any kind of cirrhotic liver, liver failure, liver dysfunction. Try to limit the amount of Tylenol that you use because it can damage the liver if used in excess or if your liver is already compromised. I didn't hear you mention aspirin, which used to be the go-to for headaches and aches and pains. Right. Aspirin is still okay, especially for people who have cardiac disease or people who have stents placed, as long as you don't have a history of stomach bleeding. But we don't recommend that as first line just because of the risk for gastritis. And the problem with aspirin is it's a silent gastritis. It's not 
one that you feel like you've got peptic ulcers or you've got this incredible abdominal pain, sometimes you can have a silent bleed and not be aware of it until you're wow. either told that you have anemia or you end up getting tachycardia or symptoms from having anemia. So we recommend try to steer clear from the aspirin, except in the cases where you do have things like cardiac disease, chest pain active, then an aspirin is a good thing to take at 81 milligrams. But towards chronically using it, it will increase your risk for gastritis and stomach bleed. And Dr. Scott, I know there's some uh, preparations that are uh, non-medicinal. There are uh, rubs and ice packs and hot packs. What do you recommend there? If you if you're talking about aches and pains, then it depends. If you're straight out of like, for example, twisting your ankle or twisting your knee, put ice first. That'll actually help decrease the swelling. But after the first 24 hours, then I'd recommend use heat. Some people will use actually ice on the temporal region on the side of their face for migraine headaches, and in some cases, it does help people with that. Uh, the one thing I would never recommend doing, though, is using any kind of topical agents, for example, Bengay, Salon Paws, any of those types of things in a heating pad, just because that combination can actually give you some second-degree and third-degree burns. Wow. So you really want to try to steer clear from combining different things that are topical, for example, the heat and a topical medical agent. Now, that being said, some of these herbal preparations that some people use – are beneficial, but they have to be used wisely. A lot of these medicines that we prescribe have not been tested against these herbs. So if you automatically have things like liver dysfunction and such, don't use any herbs without any discussion with your primary care provider or your liver specialist. Because some of them, for example, milk thistle, even though they're told that they are, quote, liver cleansers, they can cause liver damage. So any kind of over-the-counter preparations, any kind of herbal preparations, any type of, of Chinese herbs need to be steer cleared of unless it's given the blessing by your primary care provider or your liver specialist. Let me bring Olivia Raman into this for just a moment, our nurse practitioner. Uh, do your patients, Olivia, ever ask you about what they ought to be keeping around the house in, in the way of medicines and other first aid items? Um, I don't think they necessarily ask that, but I do notice that patients don't know what to have. I'll ask patients all the time, you know, when they come in with a complaint of pain or something else like cold symptoms, what have you tried taking over the counter? And they're like, I didn't take anything. I don't know what to take. So it is good to know the different kinds of things that you can have. But like Dr. Scott was saying, it is important to use with caution. And if you do have questions, always just call your provider and ask. And Dr. Scott, I, I see ads all the time for all kinds of gels that you can rub on your body uh, to fight pain uh, from Australia, from wherever. Uh, these are magic potions. Uh, do they work? The only one that's really been shown to help has been something like diclofenac. That's the only one I see almost uniformly prescribed by the orthopedists, by uh, a lot of the pain management doctors and such, just because it is a topical anti-inflammatory, so it doesn't have that same gastric side effect that you do for the oral anti-inflammatories. Sometimes you can prescribe lidocaine gel. The lidocaine patches are also helpful too. Some of the other ones though that have a special combination to them, kind of be skeptical of them because they don't have a lot of studies behind them. But the lidocaine patches and the diclofenac have shown to be beneficial. Lidocaine, especially uh, lidocaine is a painkiller for, for uh, nerves that are at the skin. It's just a topical anesthetic. That's correct. Yeah. 
Stick with me a minute. We're going to come back to you. For those who've just joined us, you're listening to Docs in a Pod. We've got a great topic today, what to keep in your medicine cabinet. And we started out with stuff from the top of the head down, dealing with pain and the kind of things that folks really experience over and over again. We're going to move in just a moment uh, to questions about allergies. And depending on where in the country you live, if you're in Texas or Florida or any number of states, you get allergies, whether you ever thought you'd get them or not. More of that coming your way. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our special co-host today, Olivia Raman, nurse practitioner, and our guest, Dr. Carolyn Scott. You're listening to Docs in a Pod. Hi, it's Drew Pearson for my friends at WellMed. As a Hall of Famer, I love it when a quarterback and receiver have a great connection. You can be part of a great connection too. Connecting WellMed's high-quality healthcare with the highest-rated Medicare Advantage plan helps you focus on staying healthy. Call 210-436-6005 or visit wellmedhealthcare.com slash connect. Drew Pearson is a paid spokesperson. Other plans are accepted. For full enrollment details, visit medicare.gov. Walk into your bathroom or wherever you keep your household medicines and take a look and ask yourself, are these the items I need? Are these expired? Is there something better? We're talking about what to have in that medicine cabinet. I'm Ron Aaron. This is Docs in a Pod. And we have as our special co-host today, Olivia Raman, nurse practitioner. And we're talking with Dr. Carolyn Scott, who's with Wellman at Rosedale up near uh, Fort Worth, Texas. And Dr. Scott, uh, folks in Texas, Florida, across the country are struggling with allergies. And with the climate change we've been experiencing, are there even more allergies caused by not only plants, but insects and bugs and what have you. What do you do for allergies in over-the-counter preps you ought to keep in your medicine cabinet? Well, the first thing to do is an antihistamine. Now, not all antihistamines are created equal. The older ones, even though they've been around longer, as you get older, may not be the best choice. That would be things like diphenhydramine, which is Benadryl, uh, chlorpheniramine, brofeniramine. Uh, those medicines even though they've been around for decades, do have a lot of side effects of drowsiness, somnolence, and man, it can keep you from being able to pee. So you need to try to clear, stay clear from those as you get older. They're just not as safe as some of the newer ones. Claritin, Allegra, Zyrtec. So the key is to have those available in the form of just an antihistamine, not with a decongestant. The decongestant will raise your blood pressure. So get just the plain... Loratadine, citrazine, or fexafenidine without the D. And use that at night. Use it before you wake up because you really want that antihistamine in your system before you wake up when everything's pollinating because everything usually pollinates in the morning. Now, that now, being when said... When you talk about... I want to interrupt you for just a moment. Mm -hmm. Pardon me, but we talked about something like uh, Claritin or Zyrtec or Xylitol or whatever. Uh, are, are those something, if you think you're going to come down with an allergy, you just take it once in a while, or do you need consistent use of those? For the oral medications, you can use those when you need to. The ones that you definitely need to use consistently are the nasal sprays. So if you're on something like Flonase, 
that needs to be used for about a week and a half or so before you really start noticing a significant difference. And the recommendations are to use it until the first freeze, which in Texas is around late November, mid-November, sometime around Thanksgiving. Okay, so use the nasal spirit preparations every day. You can use, though, when you notice a really bad storm coming through, is usually when we get a big dose of pollen coming, is when the, when the wind starts blowing. Use your oral antihistamines on that time as well as the nasal steroid sprays. And are they addictive? No, not at all. Now, the ones that, now, it's not an addiction as in a craving for, but the ones that you can actually end up having side effects from are things like afranasal spray. You can get it what's called a vasomotor rebound. In other words, if you use it too much, you can become dependent upon it, so otherwise you won't be able to breathe. If you stop using it, the inside nasal passages will swell and you won't be able to breathe for, uh, for very long. So we recommend only using those for no more than about three days max. And what about only when you absolutely have to. If you guys, you can think, use things like Patidae or the uh, Allegra Eye or the Zitador. And those are helpful too when you start having ocular problems, itchy eyes, red eyes and such. Just try to limit the use of things like Visine. They have the same rebound effect. So really? vaso, those are vasoconstrictors, just like the afro-nasal spray is. So the way they get the eyes from being red is by constricting the blood vessels. So if you use them longer than three days, those blood vessels will suddenly rebound and get large and vasodilate. That's when you can't breathe. That's when your eyes turn red and you have to keep using that medicine. It's kind of like an endless cycle of after three days, you become dependent upon it to where you have to use it or else you won't be able to breathe through your nose and your eyes will be red. So limit the use of those vasoconstrictors such as afranasal spray or Visine. But and where also, do corticosteroids fall in this category? Those are good for certain cases, but if there's a, like Flonase is a corticosteroid. It's a steroid nasal spray. The ocular steroids I'd be very cautious with, especially if you have a history of glaucoma. Plus, also, if you have contacts, they're not the best thing to use because if you have any risk of any infection, steroids suppress your immune system. So I would not use those without the blessing of an ophthalmologist. We use them mainly for people with iritis, but we don't usually use it for people with topical allergies and such for, uh, for ocular steroids. What is iritis? Inflammation of the iris. Very painful. It's, it looks like pink eye. But it's a lot different than pink eye. It's, some, it's actually an ocular emergency. Your pupil will get pinpoint and constricted. You may have what's called a limbic flush. If you look around someone's iris, the colored part of their eye, it looks like there's a red halo around it. And their vision will change dramatically. It'll go from 2040 to 2200 practically overnight. And that's, that's why it's, an ocular it's not good at all. It's one of those rare ocular emergencies that needs to be taken care of immediately. And they usually use intraocular steroids, very potent ones. But that's like a rare case that you would need to use an ocular steroid. Routinely, I wouldn't recommend doing it unless the ophthalmologist has prescribed it. Dr. Scott, I have a question about antihistamines. Yes. I've heard some doctors recommend when a patient is taking one, say, cetirizine for a long time. Do you recommend patients switch to a different one occasionally to see if it makes a difference? Or yeah, they, about that? they do have little different mechanisms of action. So I've seen some ear, nose, and throat doctors say round robin about every two months. Two months of Claritin, two months of Allegra, two months of Zyrtec, two months of Zizol, then go back again. Because it's not that you become immune. Because mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not affecting really that part of the immune system. It's just that sometimes 
it doesn't become as effective. It loses efficacy as you take it more and more and more. So it doesn't hurt to round robin. Just don't take both of them. Don't take a Claritin and an Allegra. That's that's too much antihistamines. But doing it about every two months of a switch, I think, is reasonable. Just don't go to the first generation antihistamines, Mm -hmm. especially if you're a guy with enlarged prostate or urinary symptoms. I have seen some people not be able to pee with the wrong decongestant or the wrong antihistamine given to them. Or they that would take be it, painful. Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah. Especially when that Foley goes in. It's really not fun. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. That was a good question, Olivia. Thank you. Uh, I, I want to move on for a minute. We've danced around the nose, which sits in the middle of most of our faces. Uh, what do you recommend uh, if you have nasal congestion? You've got post-nasal drip, uh, which is yucky going down the back of your throat. What are the kinds of things you can do, Dr. Scott? My favorite thing is nasal steroids. I'm sorry, nasal saline. And nasal saline? Nasal saline. The thing about it, which is salt water. Now, the thing about nasal saline spray is it's good for, for allergies. It's good for viral infections. It's good for sinus infections. But don't let that bottle re-expand in the nose. If you have a virus and that bottle is in your nose and you let it re-expand when it's in there, droplets from that nose can get into that bottle and contaminate that bottle. So every time you use it, you're re-inoculating yourself with that virus again. So make sure, excuse me, when you do the nasal steroid spray, take the bottle away from your nose, let it re-expand before you let it open up again. Excuse me. So if you, uh, and and Olivia, uh, have you recommended nasal spray? Like Uh, nasal saline? Yeah, so the nasal saline's awesome. It can, you know, if you're super stuffed up, it kind of just will help thin out what you have in there, essentially. And it's really well tolerated because it's just salt water, essentially. So yeah, I, I use it ads. myself. Yeah. Oh, you have, and has it worked for yeah. you? Oh yeah, for sure. I hear ads on uh, radio all the time and television uh, for a machine that shoots stuff up your nose and drains out the other side. Uh, it doesn't sound like fun, but the ads claim, man, does that work? And it does. If you can use a neti pot and not feel like you're getting ready to to drown, it's yeah. actually one of the best things to do, the, 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 like the navage. A neti pot. The, yeah, a neti pot. And basically, you have to be good at it. You have to tilt your head, and it goes up one nostril, <laughs> goes around the posterior uh, sinus area, and goes through the other nostril and rinses everything out. Breathe through <laughs> your mouth. Of, yeah, a lot of people will feel like they're drowning. So <laughs> another thing you can do is basically just pour some of the saline in your hand, sniff it in your nostrils, hold it for a few seconds, and then blow it out. Um, another good point is to take a hot shower, let it focus on your sinuses, occlude one nostril and blow while you're in the sinus or in the shower. And then occlude the other nostril and blow while you're in the shower. And that'll also now, help that, loosen up. Is that something you want to do regularly in, in the way of nasal maintenance? I recommend or should it for you wait until you have a problem? I would recommend it for maintenance because it's not going to hurt anything to let the hot fluid just kind of run on your face and run over the sinuses and then just blow your nose. You're not going to have any side effects. The main thing is you don't want to blow your nose until you cause barrel trauma to your ears. But if you just kind of constantly use so, some warm water to the face and just blow your nose out while you're in the shower, let that warm mist loosen up that phlegm, you're going to actually have a lot less problems with sinus infections. And nasal saline is definitely something that a lot of the, the uh, ear, nose, and throat doctors will recommend to help for their sinus patients. I like that. Now, the one now, thing yeah. I wouldn't recommend are the decongestants, especially if you have hypertension. 
because any decongestant, be it pseudoephedrine, ephedra, any of those types of medications have the side effect of raising up your blood pressure. Now, a couple items before we run out of time, uh, dealing with uh, a problem that apparently a whole lot of people have, and that's heartburn. You go out and you have a great dinner, maybe too much pepperoni, maybe too much spice, and you get home and man, does it hurt. So you go to your medicine cabinet. What do you take? Well, you can take an antihistamine like Malix or Mylanta. Those are immediate, but those are not preventative. So an antacid? Yes. If you're looking at a preventative, you can use something like a proton pump inhibitor, Nexium, Prilosec, Protonix. But remember, if you use them for longer than three months, you do increase your risk for osteoporosis. So that needs to be monitored, as well as your magnesium level can drop on those medicines. Um, things like um, some of the uh, H2 blockers used to be Zantac, but that was taken off the market. Um, but uh, those medicines are okay. They're okay to take on a, on a routine basis. They do not have the osteoporosis risk, but they're not as potent as the proton pump inhibitors are. So what I would recommend doing for most of my patients is a proton pump inhibitor, uh, but make sure that, first of all, you follow a reflux diet. You can't ignore that part. Mm-hmm. And then follow your magnesium levels. Get your bone density up to date. Make sure you're not getting osteoporosis from that. Well, we're going to stop you right there. I really appreciate you coming on. And best advice, talk to your PCP about what should I have in my medicine cabinet. And maybe you can get a pretty good list that way as well. And we we really thank you, Dr. Carolyn Scott, for joining us. And you find Dr. Scott Wellman at Rosedale in Fort Worth. And thank you to our co-host today, Olivia Rahman, nurse practitioner. I'm Ron Aaron. Thanks for joining us today on Docs in a Pod. Executive producers for Docs in a Pod are Dan Calderon and Leah Madrano. Our producer is Natalie Ibarra. And associate producer is Isaac Wilker. Thank you for listening to Docs in a Pod, presented by WellMed. We welcome your emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. And be sure to tune in next week for another edition of Docs in a Pod with Dr. Audrey Baria and Ron Aaron.